This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, all around my hat, more folk songwriting inspiration, part two. Yes, that's right. For those who don't remember from last week, we got so into talking about folk songs that we decided it was probably best that we afforded two episodes to really delve into the subject. Yeah, in fact, we could probably do an entire series on folk songs. And, you know, maybe we will. Maybe we'll take uh, <laughs> sets of sets of three or five or whatever and... <laughs> and sort of dissect them. Let us know what you guys think, if this is something you're interested in. Absolutely. But for today, we will stick with the ones we have chosen. Yes. <laughs> um, so... Um, so, we obviously recapped... <laughs> we recapped on some of the, the, the hyphen... The, the inverted commas rules around folk songs in the last episode. So mm-hmm. if you missed that, you might want to check out the episode first. And we're basically going to just pick up from where we left off which I think was with Madeline's next choice. Yes. Um, So for those who did listen to last week's episode, and I I really do recommend it because uh, the the two obviously go together very well, um, I started off quite sort of jolly, really, actually. All things considered. (laughs) That's going to go downhill, isn't it? It's going to go very much downhill now, yes. (laughs) Um, Because that's just me. So last week I looked at some jolly ones. And, you know, I might finish off with a jolly one today as well. You never know. But one song that uh, I really, really am keen to talk about is The Cruel Sister. So this is... um, I'm pretty sure this is an Irish folk song. It's a really old one. There's yeah. been so many permutations of it. I think sometimes it's called the Bonnie Bows or yeah, um, the the Harp of Bone is the other one. Yeah, and sometimes it's called the Two Sisters. I mean, there's lots of versions of it. And to be honest as well, you know, there are different versions of this tale as well. I mean, you, you the, the similarities to, you know, the, the Grimm's fairy tale, The Singing Bone as well. Um, so this is very, very much an old story. Now, the two sisters is, um, or the cruel sister, is a rather chilling tale about um, sororicide. Um, so in the song, there are two sisters and they go down to the river. Now, the elder sister, she's described as being cold and dark. So she, she you know, she has dark eyes, probably dark hair. Um, whereas her little sister is fair and blonde um, and very beautiful. Now, both in some versions of the song, um, it, it varies, but both are in competition for the same man essentially and this this man is clearly preferring the younger sister so in a fit of rage the eldest sister drowns her little sister and she leaves the body to be swept away usually into the sea sometime later a minstrel or a bard or in some versions it's a miller finds the dead girl's body Um, and from her breastbone he fashions a harp um, and he uses sometimes he uses her finger bones to create the pegs and he uses her golden hair to make the strings um then this bard or this miller um 
is sometimes he's invited to a wedding or sometimes he just goes to the king's court. Either way, the wedding is 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 either for the the elder sister and this man that she's fallen in love with or the king's court is is the father of these two sisters. Now as the bard begins to play, uh the strings cry out with the dead sister's voice. Um and she basically reveals what happened to her. In some versions, the miller, usually it's the miller, is then imprisoned for desecrating the dead girl's body. Um, and the elder sister, I think, is executed in boiling oil. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, in other versions, there are there are versions where the younger sister is restored to life. Um, but something that's interesting for me, there's, there's, there's four particular things which are interesting to me, which I kind of really want to dissect a little bit. Um, and that is uh, the imagery of swans is in pretty much every version of the song, um, along with the harp, the hair, and the role of the bard. So bear with me because I'm just going to take us through each of them. So first of all, I want to start by talking about the swan. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a long haul, guys. So the swan. The swan in mythology obviously has very deep ties with the spirit world, particularly in Irish mythology, where it was believed they could uh, sort of move between the human realm and the other world. Um, so there are lots of tales and folklore and fairy tale which involve young men and women being turned into swans, usually by wicked fae or sometimes by gods. And it's usually motivated by jealousy. Um, and there were also stories which involve swans having the ability to shapeshift um, a little bit like selkies. Um, as such, within sort of the Irish mythology, it was it was considered incredibly bad luck to kill a swan. Now, there are some people who believe that this this came about because people believe that that the the swans were actually humans in disguise and that this might be because the sound that swans can make can almost sound like a human cry they can create these human sort of calls um, because of this swans were associated and obviously connected with innocence wronged magic um, and and death so Whenever they appear in songs, there's usually a kind of there's usually a link between a young woman who has died or been taken. So we see this in "She Moved Through the Fair," um, which I've spoken about in the past. It's it's one of my favourite folk songs, um, where the spirit of the dead woman, um, in one of the verses, she makes her way homeward with one star awake, like the swan in the evening moves over the lake. And then you have Molly Bourne. Um, who's the, the the folk song Molly Bourne where the titular character is accidentally murdered by her lover after he mistakes her for a swan during a hunt yeah because you can't tell the difference between a swan and an apron yes. and obviously he's holding his gun at the wrong level yes. as well if you don't shoot through the trees no <laughs> <laughs> so so um so first of all you get this idea of the swan and the, the imagery of the swan which is yeah the, a woman who has been wronged usually, um, or, a, you know, an innocent killed. So that's the first thing that I really like about the song. The next thing, the harp. Okay, harps. Now, anyone who knows anything about Irish mythology or sort of Ireland in general will know that harps are fairly important there. I think you can agree, Jules. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, there are many people who, who say that the country itself is shaped like a harp. 
So the harp is of a very particular interest for me because it obviously has very deep roots within folklore um, and to this day is still regarded as being somewhat enchanted and um, ethereal. Um, and just as can be expected, there are obviously a lot of links between the harps and between harps and the realms of the dead. So little history lesson here. The idea of designing a harp out of a dead body isn't actually anything new. Now, I'm about to murder the Irish um, language, so I apologise. Um, but there is, uh, you know, according to Irish mythology, the goddess of music, and I think her name is Canna, Canna Glamour? Glamour? Am I saying that right? I'd have to, I'd have to see it written down to know. <laughs> C-L-U-D-H-M-O-R. <laughs> Canna Glamour? Something like that. Canna Glamour. Yeah. Uh, uh, great. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Well, essentially, this goddess of music, she actually created the harp because one night she went to sleep. She, she was on the beach and she was lulled asleep by this strange, beautiful music. And when she awoke, she went down to discover where this beautiful sound was coming from. And she discovered a whale carcass in the sand. The wind had been blowing through strands of sinew across the whale's bones, which was creating the beautiful sound. Um, and so she basically took this as inspiration and she created the first harp. So the first harp ever was literally was literally a carcass, apparently. Um, then obviously the harp would go on to have a very long history in Celtic mythology. You've got um, Dagda, you know, father of Tuatha de Danann. He owned a magical harp, which he could make people. He, I think he could force people to 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 sort of laugh and dance, or to cry, or or to fall asleep. And then you have Abel, um, who ruled in Munster, who also played an enchanted harp. Um, now I believe Jules, you've actually drawn from this because it was anyone. This was sort of the harp of death. Anyone who heard its music would die. Yeah, I mean, I, I played with the legends a little bit, but basically the harp uh, was made by, uh, in Scottish mythology, she's called the Calix. In Irish mythology, she's called the Colliach. And that just means hag. But strangely enough, she appeared quite young and beautiful, but also very, very sinister. Um, and yeah, she was credited with creating this harp in order to capture a, a young man of the Fenia who, who was up to no good. Um, <laughs> basically and she managed to take his charm and his ability to woo women from him and it all went into the harp so if you ever heard this harp it would absolutely charm you but if you heard this harp it also meant that your death was near so it didn't cause death but it was definitely a harbinger of it yeah it was the harp that was played at the last battle that uh Cahullan heard yeah and when he heard the harp played he lashed himself to the rock so that he may stay, might stand upright and fight for as long as he could hold his sword. But he knew that by the time the sun touched the horizon, um, he would be dead. Yeah. Kind of thing. So immediately, this is also very interesting. The idea of harps speaking, the idea of harps being, you know, um, enchanted. And I mean, you also get talking harps in other sort of folklore and mythology. I mean, Jack and the Beanstalk is a version of it where you have a talking harp and things like that. So... The harp is, it's its very interesting that, yeah, he makes a harp out of her, out of her body. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is hair. <laughs> so, and as I, as I said, this is going to be a long haul, so stick with me. I promise that I won't go into as much detail about anything else, but I'm super into this song. So logically, uh, we know that using hair to make strings 
it makes absolutely little sense. Um, it just wouldn't work. Um, honestly, it would have been a lot more appropriate for him to have used her intestines because, you know, strings <laughs> were made out of animal guts. Um, I'm sure some of you have seen that Hannibal episode. Um, but, but, you know, obviously that's not very poetic. It's not very romantic um, as using golden hair. So... Um, it makes obvious that, oh, she had golden hair, we'll use that for the strings. But there are some further implications to the use of hair. First of all, we have to obviously acknowledge the fact that she had golden hair, which is obviously a trait commonly associated with Tuatha de Danann. Um, the Fae, particularly the women, were usually depicted as having blonde or red hair, and thus these colours were often accredited with the other world and with magic. Within Irish mythology, it was believed that blood was the life essence of a person. If a person was murdered, their body would bleed whenever the murderer was nearby. I love this idea. <laughs> like, it's actually like, if the body starts bleeding, the murderer is nearby. Um, you know, particularly if the body has stopped bleeding. If it would sort of start bleeding anew, it meant the murderer was nearby. And it would also, in some versions, grass would not grow in any spot where the blood of the murdered had been spilled. Um, now, the reason I mention this is that it's also worth noting that, um, that hair was thought to spring directly from your blood in Irish mythology. Um, so it was an intrinsic part of the body, so much so that even cutting your hair could be perilous, depending on what you actually did with the discarded strands. So, for instance, it was believed, believed that if you... <laughs> If you cut your hair and then threw it out and birds got hold of it, you would end up having a terrible headache. <laughs> um, hair was usually buried in the ground so that on the day of judgment it could be retrieved by the dead before they ascended into heaven. Um, which is also why they never burnt it, because otherwise on the day of judgment they would have to reach down and they would have to, um, to grasp the, the burning hair from the flames. Um, obviously, in Abrahamic belief, you also have the idea of bones uh, being the house of the soul. So a harp which is made of hair and bone is full of the spirit of the deceased, essentially. Yeah. He's basically taken the, the essence of this murdered woman and made it into an instrument. So finally, the bard. Uh, now I get super excited about that. I call him the bard. He's not actually called the bard in the song, but I call him the bard because... There is so much folklore about musicians who are invited, kidnapped, or seduced into the other world in order to perform for the Fae. Music holds obviously incredible importance, power, and sway over supernatural beings. Um, and remember, as we've discussed before, these are unequivocally linked with the dead. So let's actually just quickly go over to Greek mythology because, you know, we're going to. Um, in Greek mythology, you know, you see this in the case of Orpheus. I love this tale of Orpheus because everyone knows the version where obviously he goes down into Hades to fetch back his wife and he uses his lyre, which is obviously a type of harp, to charm his way through, you know, including um, lulling Cerberus to sleep. Um, yeah, and basically sort of... Uh, he he basically bribes people to let him pass by just playing them beautiful music, which I think is amazing. Um, but the story that I actually want to focus on is when Orpheus was killed. Now Orpheus was killed by the um, the Bacchae, who literally ripped him to shreds. So that's fun. Um, but he was killed, and his head and his lyre were washed down the river. 
Now, the bit that's really interesting is that his head and his lyre continue to sing and play mournfully, telling them, telling everybody of what happened to him. And his head was then kind of also, he was, he basically became prophet. And to this day, the idea of bards, storytellers and musicians, they, they're often afforded magical powers in fiction and in folklore, with links between music and prophecy often being made. There's also the case of obviously Tom the Rhymer, um, and I'll let Jules talk about Tom the Rhymer in a little bit because I'm sure she'll have some very interesting stuff to say there. Um, another prophetic character, obviously from he he was an actual real person, um, but there's a lot of mythology around him, um, and he actually made several prophecies regarding Scotland's future. Um, and there's lots of versions where he, he basically he met a fairy queen of some kind. He went to fairy for a little while. Um, and he was offered a gift and that was either foresight or he could have a magical harp. But in some versions, he, he actually gets the magical harp as well, doesn't he? I think he was given a harp to use while he was there. Which, yeah. me, which you know, if you're deciphering sort of the mythology of the song or whatever, yeah. then that's basically saying that the, the Shay was so enamoured of his musical talent that they decided to teach him. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a common thing with um with the shade that they 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 adore human musical talent and that they will they will kidnap singers poets people who are especially gallant you know the best of the best kind of thing and once you lose your savor they'll they'll kick you out kind of thing yeah um thomas larimer did not want to go to fairyland no and he, but once he was there he kind of took the position of you know what i'm i'm here for seven years um i'm going to keep the fairy queen happy and then when the seven years were up, she was kind of like, I'm minded to give you a gift. And she tells him that she's going to make him true Thomas and his tongue will never be able to lie. And he's like, no, my tongue is my aim. <laughs> you know, it's my tongue. I, I want to be able to lie. And she's like, well, tough luck. <laughs> <laughs> Your gift is you can never lie again. Um, but it, it, it does mean that he also kind of gets this prophetic ability yeah, as well. Which comes with it, yeah. Yeah. Now... The reason I have discussed all of this is that it actually presents a really interesting version of the song, um, which sort of touches on kind of other sort of little ideas. So obviously, on a surface level, it's a lesson about injustice and that, in, you know, injustices will will always go punished. They'll not go unpunished. The dead will not be silenced. You know, the elder sister, in trying to secure the hand of the man she loves, actually ends up putting herself in a position whereby she, at the worst, is executed in boiling oil. And at best, you know, she's lost the affection and trust and love of her fam of her of both her family and her fiancé. Um, but there are some other really interesting ideas which can be sort of afforded to it, which is the idea that actually the two sisters might have already been Fae. Yeah. Um, or even if they weren't, that the the bard himself was actually some kind of fae or had been given gifts by the fae in order to enact revenge on this sister and that the reason that the sister comes back at the end in some versions is she has returned as a fae of some kind yeah yeah I just I just really like it because there's so much there and you you get this impression that there's an even older story underneath it all 
Um, I think there is. I yeah. mean, you want to take the idea of the two sisters. Well, yeah. that's Clayna and Avil yeah. as well. So, I mean, they were two of the, the Shea queens. Yeah. Um, Clayna kind of represented summer and Avil kind of represented winter, although things were not that cut and dried in Celtic mythology. No. Um, and at one point, both of them, they you know, they had they shared the same father, but they had very little else in common. Didn't like each other, competed a lot. Yeah. Clayna was very jealous of Avil. Avil was clever, but not as beautiful as this Clayner. And basically, at one point, they both were in love with the same man. Mm. And in order to get... And he actually preferred Avil of the two sisters because it was kind of like, they're both beautiful, but this one's like really super clever as well, whereas Clayner was a little bit little bit vain. Yeah. And um, Clayner wasn't having that because no one wins a beauty contest against her so a bit like Aphrodite really yes and what she did was she turned Avil into a white cat by tricking her and then imprisoned her in a cave so she obviously didn't kill her sister outright but t- clears the field yeah and then she told the man in question that um, Avil wasn't interested in him anymore and eventually being a man he succumbed to her charms because you know who could resist the goddess of love and beauty and then a bit later on there was there's talk from the local villages that there's this terrible beast trapped in a cave mm-hmm. and to prove his to prove his devotion to Clayna he goes off to slay the beast and what comes out is a little fluffy white cat <laughs> and uh, the man is charmed and fills his palm with with goat's milk and says you know what are you doing here the cat laps milk from his palm and turns back into Avil who explains everything to him he's extremely pissed off with Clayna because she took his choice away yeah and Avil won't have anything to do with him because he's already been married yeah well, he's not married her, he's just had sex with her a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the Hiris Gammas type of marriage, if you like. Yes. Um, she's like, well, I'm, you know, you're you're beyond me now, I, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, he goes back and rather foolishly complains to Clayna um, and then tells her he's leaving her. And Clayna is also a sea goddess. She flies into a rage as his boat starts crossing the bay back um, from the... from. Uh, God, it, I've forgotten the name of the Irish island, but it'll come back to me. It's not Tiernanog. Um Anyway, he was, he's crossing from one world back into the other, and when he gets beyond the seventh wave, she sends a terrible great wave and drowns the boat and kills him. <laughs> so <laughs> it is kind of the two sisters, or at least yeah. it's one of the origins, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly, it's it's a very interesting idea that you have some kind of fairy politics or magical politics here and that a human or a simple person is the one who is called upon or chosen to kind of be the bearer of truth or to to sort it out yeah it's not it's like my grandmother used to say you have no dealings with the the shame my girl (laughs) Um, and and, and it, it comes from this idea that being a small human with limited powers and a limited lifespan you don't get involved in the politics of of the great and the inverted commas good yeah because you will get squashed like a bug yeah which is generally what happens yeah absolutely so yeah there's a there's a lot of interpretation there and certainly as a song and i can't really go into detail yet there there are elements of the song which i i'm drawing inspiration from for one of my books i shall say no more (laughs) um right i am going to talk a little bit about I'm moving from Ireland to Scotland for mm-hmm. a little while um, I'm going to mention Loch Lomond which I think unfortunately is one of those folk songs that 
became so well known that it became lampooned mm. as in whenever you you saw films that were sort of doing a a bit of a parody scottish type character you'd always have him singing in a very clipped bad scottish accent about loch lomond mm. without anybody really knowing what the song is about um <laughs> Now the song is not a happy song. It's got a lovely, lovely tune, and you know you can sing it for a soprano voice, and it's it's beautiful and haunting. And then if you really look at the lyrics, it's kind of like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone will know the chorus. It's like you'll take the high road, I'll take the low road, and I'll be in Scotland before you. Yeah. But me and my true love will never meet again by the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond. Um, the reason that. Basically, the premise of the song is that the two Scotsmen, the one singing, the narrator of the song and the person he's singing it to, are in a an English prison. Right. So, you know, the, the English had uh, had prisons in Scotland as well during the time of the Highland uprisings and the, the levelling of the Highlands and the dissipation of the clans. So basically, the, the whole raise, the raising thing, which is a bad thing that happened in Scottish history. Yes. Um before we point the finger too firmly at the English, I would like to point out that they were heavily assisted by the greedy, money-grabbing, low-landing Scots as well, <laughs> who, who basically sold out their own people. Um, and I'd also like to point out that, much as I love Scotland and much as I love my Scottish heritage, um, there was no one the Scots wanted to be in a fight with more than the other Scots. Yeah. So <laughs> this, is, you know, this is pretty well across, well across history. Moving aside from all of that... Um, that you've got the two men in a Scottish prison having been captured after the Battle of Culloden. And what one of them is saying is, you know, you are probably going to live long enough to get back and see our homeland. Mm -hmm. You'll take the high road, you're going to live. I'll take the low road. I will go back to Scotland, or my spirit will, but I'm not going to live in this prison. And the conditions in the prisons were terrible. Yeah. Really, really bad. Um, the English, because of the way the Scots fought as well. Um, the English kind of lost a lot of their, their general... Because, they, believe it or not, the English had a fair bit of decency when they fought at a foe. But when they fought someone like the Scots, who were kind of like, yeah, I'm going to hack your limbs off, then burn the stumps, and then leave you without limbs for your, your kinsmen to find. Yeah. Um, they kind of lost a sense of proportion there. Yeah. I think why. It, it's a traditional celtic way of fighting, unfortunately, where you're, you're supposed to put the fear of the gods into your enemy, but it doesn't go down terribly well. No. Because <laughs> we, we, we know when the English get beaten in that sort of way or they have suffer that sort of setback, they're a bit like the Romans. Is They'll come back and they will come back with even more expedient cruelty. Yes. So, um, yeah, things were not good in the prisons. Lots of people just died from things like cholera or from not having enough food or from being literally whipped to death. Um, the lucky few were sent in basically a, a form of servant bondage into England if they had special skills or they were a decent hostage type family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a couple of my relatives were sent down to Dorset like that as well. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm talking that there is a personal interest in this. Mm. But essentially, the song is a is a ghost story. It's you know we've we've survived the Battle of Culloden. It would have been better if we'd both died. But you might see our homeland again. Yeah. It will never be quite the same as it was before because the Highlands and the clan way of life is gone. The English have got rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. But on average, they spent you know three to seven years in prison before they were their families didn't even know they were still alive. Yeah. And this one's kind of like yeah, I'm never going to make it back to Scotland. I am never going to see the bonny girl I used to watch the twilight gloaming with 
So, um, yeah, it's a ghost song. Lovely, lovely haunting tune. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds quite cheerful. It's really not. It's incredibly, it's incredibly sad. Um, in contrast with that, there is Oro Malaniv, which is Hush Now My Child. Um, which, again, a beautiful, beautiful tune. And it's sung entirely in Gaelic or Scottish Gaelic. And you listen to it and it just, it sounds lovely. And then you translate it. And I often sat there listening to it going, okay, hush now my child. And what follows is, here is a graphic description of your father's beheading at the hands of the English and the ruination of the flower of our people. (laughs) And I would give you a sheep and your own lambs to farm, but the English have taken all our sheep kind of thing, (laughs) see their their bodies despoiled and rotting out on the moor. And it just goes on like this. And I'm like, why the fuck are you singing this to a baby? (laughs) (laughs) Even a Gaelic, come on. That is uh, really something. I mean, there's a there's a very dark side of that, which is that, you know, it might be that she's actually killing the child. Yeah, I mean, there was a big, uh, again, there was a big famine not long after the raising of the Highlands, because mm. when you crush an entire way of life, then there are knock-on effects, and sometimes those knock-on effects are that crops and livestock don't do mm. very well. And the English soldiers that were stationed up there were hungry, so they were taking food. Um, so, yeah, this is this is not great. And, you know, I'm not going to point... Again, it, this is not to say, you know, the English are bad. Any more than say, well, the, the, the Scottish lowlanders are bad. They were bad in the sense of they were willing to sell out their people for gold. But, you know, we've got the... We've got mega food corporations at the moment selling out the health of, of entire countries for a bit more on their profit margins. So... None of us can really point fingers. No, it was a very bloody time. A very bloody history. Yeah, very, very bloody history. Um, uh, the fact of the matter is that, I mean, both Jules and I have, and, and the majority of people, I think, will have some kind of Scottish or Irish heritage, be that distant or be that close. Um, it's a shared it's a shared history um, and it's something which it's often overlooked and it's also kind of why the the folk songs are so important and why we do need to keep hold of them because they contain within them the grief the anger the emotions um, and the pride of of these people um, who were fighting yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, I should have mentioned why Loch Lomond grabbed me, and I think it's because I sort of rediscovered it and then reread it as an adult and went, "Oh my god, it's a ghost song!" And then had a had a real sort of, so you know, one of those those blinding light bulb flash moments where you're like, "This is going to be in this book in the future." <laughs> now I'm worried. <laughs> this is a Harker and Blackthorn one, so it will be in with that. I haven't worked out everything yet, but it's okay. going to be that. Um, Oro Malaniv. While I love it, and I actually really enjoy singing it, I'm kind of like, yeah, even that one might be a bit grim to include. <laughs> even for me. Lord Almighty. Okay, all right. So um, I think yeah, that's probably the grimmest song that <laughs> we'll bring up. Oh, yeah, that's what you think. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to challenge that. Um, okay, so... The next one I want to talk about is Fair Margaret and Sweet William. 
Now there mm-hmm. are there are lots of versions of this song. I think I know an Appalachian version where um Bad Billy is Sweet William now. Yeah. Yeah. Um it, there's there's several different versions of it because in I think originally actually they were Scottish or that there's a Scottish version um and William has come home from England as a Scotsman after fighting the English. Yep. Um, but then in a lot of other versions it's that he's he is English and he's come home from fighting the Scots um, it, it will vary de- de- depending on the song the English liked the tune and stole, and stole it, it. Yeah. Um, or it could be the other way around we don't know um, but essentially what happens is that you it's the story of a young woman she's asleep one night when someone comes into her room and the first thing is she says are you my father um, or are you my brother? Um, or are you my sweet William from from Scotland or from England come home? And he says, I'm not your father, I'm not your brother, but I am your sweet William come home from Scotland and, I've, and I have come to ask you back for the... Um, essentially, he, he had promised to marry her. Yeah. He'd bestowed her with a token and he's basically come to ask for that token back. Now, what you realise very quickly is that he's died. He's dead. This is his ghost. Yeah. And she denies him. She says, I'll not give you back this token. Um, but we, you know, uh, un- until, you know, you go with me to yonder church or stuff like that. And there's a little bit of the unquiet grave within the song as well. And at one point she asks to kiss him and he says, you know, I'm... But I, I, my lips are, are cold. I'm, I'm dead. You, you can't really kiss me. And if you do, you, you'll die as well. Um, and what happens is that you know they, they sort of go on this journey. She follows him. They go in some versions. They go to the church. They, they walk th- through the hall and stuff like that. And at the end of every one, he says, "Now please return the token." And she says, "I'll not return the token until you do this." Um, and then what happens is that they end up at his grave. And this is the part of the song that I really like. Because what happens is that there's later versions where they've tamed it down. But I'm going to go with one of the earlier versions where they end up at his grave. And what happens is she's like, what the hell is this? Who are these three women who are standing here? Who are these? Who are, what are these three bundles that are lying here? And what are these three creatures at, at the foot of your grave? And he says, the three women are women that I also promised myself to um, and then abandoned. The three bundles are the three babies that they bore me um, after I'd slept with them. (laughs) And at my foot are the three hellhounds that will drag me to hell for this. And essentially what's happened is that he's asking for the token back because it's one less sin if she returns this token, essentially if she relieves him of the responsibility that he that he promised to her so in some version it's yeah he's basically says you know the these are the hellhound in some version it's the three hellhounds one because he lied to his parents or stuff like that um and one because you know he has not returned to her so she returns the token either way 
um, and basically says, may you rest in peace. But I really like the old version because it's like, she looks up, she's like, who are these three women? He's like, those are the other three women I slept with who died for love of me. Who are these three babies? Those are the three babies that they bore me who also died. Um, And these three hellhounds are the ones who will, you know, drag me to hell. And there's there's an a feeling within the song because in some version it's yes of course I will return the token may you rest in peace where in this version it feels like yeah have your token back you bastard <laughs> and rest in pieces <laughs> I like the way that you can have I mean just in the same way where we've talked about um, Scarborough Fair where it could be a, a, a someone jilted in love saying yeah I'm not taking you back fuck off yeah. where it can be sort of like why can't we be together? Well, because death divides us. I like how you can take these songs and just change a few words and or change the context very slightly and you get a completely different song, which, but with essentially the same story. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I like both versions because one, it is very sad where he's basically like, please relieve me um, because I can't, I can't rest in peace until I know that you're not waiting for me anymore. And that's an incredibly, you know, that's an incredibly sad and beautiful version where she genuinely does seem to wish him well. And in the other version, there is, again, even though she seems to do it kindly and she does return the token, which is what he's asking, within the context of everything, it does very much feel like she's just thrown it back at him and she's been like, oh yeah, ooh, (laughs) screw you, man. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's still going to be dragged down to hell. (laughs) so yeah so that's also another one which um which i've definitely will be drawing upon um and i really do enjoy it as a folk song cool um okay well i have mentioned alan Doyne before again this is uh this is gaelic this is scottish gaelic um i'm just gonna just tip back in because it kind of plays quite well into another one that i want to mention Mm -hmm. um alan Doyne means dark-haired alan and it is a lament. It was uh, written in Gaelic for um, for a man who died, Alain Morriston, um, by his fiancée, Annie Campbell. Annie Campbell. Um, and he was a sea captain from the Isle of Lewis. And obviously the seas around there are quite treacherous. And in, I think it was 1786, he left Stornoway um, to go to Harris, where he was to you know, be properly engaged to Annie Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, and a storm blew up and the crew sank with the vessel. And Annie Campbell was broken hearted and she, she wrote the song, the, the lament for her lost love, mm-hmm. but she also lost her will to live and died a few months afterwards. And, you know, there's a there's a bit of a, I don't know how much of this is sort of a folky type story and how much of it is sort of like, well, this will make a good ghost story. Mm-hmm. Um, but her father took her in her coffin by boat um, he was going to, you know, bury her on the mainland of the main island of Harris, which is slightly bigger than, than where she was living. But a storm blew up and caused the uh, the coffin to be blown off the boat, and it sort of washed up on the same shore where her fiance's body was found. Mm. So you kind of you've got to love the, the symmetry of that. But there <laughs> is a verse in this that I. I do want to mention because it's kind of like this is such a typically Celtic way of expressing your undying love for somebody and it's the coin dach geboil legachi the devil the do kum tuinsh de the water 
is so that I would drink, though all would abhor it, of your heart's blood after you were drowned. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's that's pretty intense. That's, that's... very intense. <laughs> but, I mean, for years, that was that was one of my favourite Gaelic songs. I've had this thing where I've always had um, Gaelic songs and I sing in Gaelic a lot, um, just because it sort of, it pleases me to do so. But I want to mention another song, which is sort of, it's not really quite the same. It's not a ghost song in the same way that Alan Doyne is, mm. but it has the same sort of feel. Um, again, beautiful tune. It's called An Inishai. Um, An Inishai means the happy island. But if you look at the, the context of the word, the word happy doesn't just mean sort of happy, joyful. It means blessed as well. Mm. So this is a really sort of delicately wrought song with lots of beautiful natural imagery and things. And it kind of, it, it makes you think that this is somebody who is not only lamenting for the chance to go home, this is someone mourning for the chance to go back to a time when when Scotland was, was something a bit different, um, to the home that's no longer there. So, uh, yeah, the first line, Shane and Doin Shedan Inishai, was like, sing this song to the Happy Isle. If you go to the last verse, it's Osgeran oin ateriglatha higalgocha gon irmithach. And if you carry on down, it's basically uh, it's um, it's only a short time until the close of day. Night will come, and I will want for rest. They're talking about dying. This person is going to die far away from home and far away from the time when they actually felt they were at home. Mm. And it's all the more poignant for having come after the fact that. Um, they're talking about how beautiful the uh, beautiful the place is, how green the glens are, how bright the sun is there, how swift the summer comes, um, how renewing the winter is, the prized fish, etc. Yeah, and it's it's a, you know a really lovely song, but it's kind of like, and now I'm dying, I can finally go back to the land I remember. Mm. As the, at the same time, I will never be able to go back to that place because it's gone it's, it's not alive any it's not there anymore yeah um so it's a lot more subtle than sort of like yeah the english took our sheep and there they are they're rotting on the glens <laughs> they're rotting out in the moors um in the highlands but it's it it's got something of the same thing you know how, how i wish i could rest my head on the happy isle yeah yeah that's incredibly tragic i mean that the, the the thing is, these these ghost Scottish songs I'm mentioning, they're all pretty much going into the same book. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's going to be a lot of this sort of imagery. <laughs> I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, from that, um, I'm actually going to mention a relatively recent folk song. And I say relatively recent. I cannot actually remember when it was written. But it's a song called Lord Franklin. Now, uh, don't know how many people will know Lord Franklin, real person. He was in the British Royal Navy and most notably he was an Arctic explorer. Now, Franklin was one of those... The story of Franklin was, was probably one of those stories which may ha may have sort of influenced and would have been in connection with kind of the fears that surrounded things like Frankenstein. Remember, Frankenstein starts with Arctic exploration as well. Um, there was a lot of disasters which were associated with Arctic exploration. 
And Lord Franklin was definitely one of the stories which was which stayed with people, which was 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 incredibly scandalous. So um, essentially, Lord Franklin and his crew they went out, and the song Lord Franklin is told from his wife's point of view. And in the song, she is singing about um, the fact that she was out on the blue um, and she's in her hammock and as she's swinging she dreams of Lord Franklin um, and that he he's basically returned and she tells the story about the fact that um, they sailed off with 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 the crew um, and then their ship on mountains of ice was broken um, and only the the local Inuits were able to kind of pass through this sort of area um, now the song is very sweet because it, it just sort of it talks about the fact that yeah that the, the poor Lord Franklin and his group they were there and um, and and that the, they died because they got stuck on the ice and the song rather tragically ends with basically um, the the wife singing ten thousand guineas would I freely give to say on earth that my Franklin lived um, and it seems to be there are some people. And again, I'm not sure how true this is that 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 she she was basically she actually raised money in order to help kind of to try and get an expedition um, to try and find her husband because he had been out there for years. And we do know that she urged um, the army, the admiral, uh, the admiralty to send out a search party, um, but it took years and years for them to actually to actually do so um and they they ended up offering a reward of you know like twenty thousand pounds i believe which is an incredible amount i mean that's in that's in the millions that would be the equivalent yeah. of in the millions almost two million um uh in this day and age so um this money and the Franklin's fame, it, it did lead to many, many searches. Unfortunately, they they sort of found bits, they found bits and ultimately what had happened was that Franklin was kind of found, his crew were kind of found, uh, the bones. And unfortunately, what had happened was that they had all, they'd succumbed to, you know, after years of kind of being locked in the ice, uh, they they there was food poisoning. They had begin begun to starve. They had scurvy and things like that. Um, and when people found these bodies, they they basically in the bones they found evidence of of the bones of knife wounds on the bones. Um, yeah. And essentially, these people had result resorted to cannibalism. Now, the thing which is most interesting about this story and most heartbreaking is the fact that there were Inuit people and actually there there has been Inuit oral testimony about eyewitnesses who actually saw this and the thing that's really interesting is that at no point did Lord Franklin and his people ever go hey let's go and approach the Inuits you know the ones who have literally built a society around surviving around here and asked them to sort of teach us or help us. No, no, they didn't. They were like, no, no, it seems to be the implication is that they were like, no, they're savages. We're not going to go near them. Whereas the Inuits looked over and went, oh my God, they're eating each other. We are not going anywhere near that. I don't know what's going on, but those people are savages. 
what we <laughs> what one of the beliefs is though that at, at some point the Inuits the Inuit hunters and stuff like that did kind of go over to see what was up and they were like this is this is horrifying um you know they they just found dead people and and what happens is that actually there's an implication that they took a lot of the copper which was on the ship because they thought well well we might as well just take this um but yeah it's the idea that the inuit there were inuit people who were right there really really close by and that lord franklin and his crew at no point just sort of <laughs> reached out like can you help us and if the inuit people spotted them they went those people are crazy we're, we're not going over they they look absolutely mad um so it is it's a horrifying it's a horrifying story of people who are slowly starving to death who are eating one another who are stuck um and and d- diseased and probably going crazy because of things like scurvy and stuff like that um it's it's a horrifying that's a horror that's a horror story right there and yet the 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 folk song is so pleasant it's so sort of oh it's heartbreaking my love i would do anything to say that and and i really like it because it it it's it kind of is a little bit of a ghost story it's a yearning story it's a love story um from the one side which kind of looks at the sort of the nice side of things as it were um, yeah. And only hints toward <laughs> the true horror of what had actually occurred with Lord Franklin and his crew, because none of them survived. Absolutely none of them. And that is just awful. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing with folk songs as well. No matter how sweet they sound on the surface, mm. the chances are they are hinting at something yes. really horrible. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, it because it, it, it literally took... 100 years before they they actually went yeah we we've definitely found evidence of cannibalism and i think actually that some of their bodies were only discovered quite recently as well yeah. so yeah right well moving on from from the from scotland on my part and uh from <laughs> from the, the, the arctic, arctic. <laughs> <laughs> to to iceland and the sheer horror of icelandic lullabies oh yes so the two this is quite short but i'm like if we think i was okay you know rockabye baby rockabye baby yeah um whatever but basically it talks about if the bow breaks the cradle will fall and yeah Mm. i know there's some political implications and things behind that etc but i was always somewhat horrified by that line Mm -hmm. that is nothing absolutely nothing (laughs) to a the, the the lullaby I just mentioned that came from Scotland, mm-hmm. um, but also to the the Icelandic versions, they really did not like their crying children. <laughs> um, <laughs> so sofa thu svidthit, so sofa thu svidthit, svarte i augum, far i fullen fit, fullen um Sleep, you black-eyed pig, fall into a deep pit of ghosts. Oh my god! <laughs> you black-eyed pig! What the hell? Yeah. Svarte <laughs> i augum, black of eye. Falum draugum. Draugum, the thing with draugum is it's not as simple as ghost. It's it's a particular type of hungry ghost that dra- drags you down and drowns you. <laughs> wow. Can we get the word draugum? 
Um, so that was disturbing. And there's also Bien Bien Bambolo, uh, which goes Bien Bien Bambolo, Bambolo of Dilly Dilly Do. My little friend, I lull to rest, but outside a face looms at the window. <laughs> Sleep, but a supernatural creature is looking in, thinking about whether it's going to snatch you or not. Right, time to go to sleep, but be aware. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, just as a last one, there, there's soft dulengi. I, I won't read the Icelandic, I'm butchering it. But basically, it tr translates to sleep long, sleep tight. It is best to wake up late. The hardship will teach you soon while the day turns to night. That people feel love, loss, sadness and longing. Which seems milder than the other than something will come and fetch you away in your sleep until it's kind of like, yeah, you're better off sleeping and sleeping as long as you can because when you grow up, you're really going to have something to cry about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! They are not joking around! <laughs> no, they're, they're taking no prisoners with that. So, um, I like it because I really like looking at sort of lullabies and folk songs and things from, from other cultures and you know, bear in mind that I'm relatively sure that at least two of those were translated quite well because I can pick up enough of the Icelandic to, to actually understand it. Um, but you lose something in context when you translate a song into English, unfortunately. But even so, that's pretty grim stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's... Wow. I... <laughs> the image of a face looking in at a window... You know, sort of, you're lulling a child to sleep, and there's something, a face, immediately makes me think of, of like, uh, the holder, or, or, you know, the shay, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> it's kind of like, I could go from there into a short story, or, you know, knowing me, probably a novel, into, really, yeah. really easily, just on that one, one piece of imagery. Yeah, so. just, just the idea is, <laughs> just love the, all right, good night, beware of the faces looking in at the window to you, sleep well, <laughs> don't wake mummy until morning. <laughs> Closing the door, just leaving this petrified child. <laughs> that is awful. And I'm not absolutely sure, but I think there might be a Finnish version. Uh, not a version, but a Finnish one, which basically, and I'm definitely paraphrasing here because I can't remember it, but it's something along the lines of, of sleep, for God's sake, sleep, you little, uh, you know, insert insulting word here. <laughs> That is incredible. Wow. I I mean I'm sure many new parents have felt like this. It's not <laughs> an unusual thing. They just don't normally commemorate it in first. <laughs> That's incredible. I um I I I'm really interested. I I'm so keen to go and have a listen to these now because that is just Okay. They sound really well. I mean, they're lullabies, so they sound lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and yet, don't be deceived by a tune, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I thought actually I'd 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 do a nice one now. Okay, a nice one. Um, I mine's thought... not good. My last one is not going to be nice. No, so, yeah. no, neither is neither is my last one. I think. Of the <laughs> So, um, no, I thought I'd mention... Well, it was between doing a Japanese one or doing a Scottish one. And I thought I'd actually do the Japanese one, just because it's quite interesting. Um, so it's a really, really famous traditional song, which um, 
has it's it's a dance it's it's a japanese sea shanty and it's called sorambushi um and it comes from hokkaido and you you can actually like if you type it into youtube and stuff like that you can usually actually see the sort of the dance that goes along with it but the lyrics are actually really really funny now um it's it's usually broken up into about four verses um, there's a chorus and it's, it's definitely a sea shanty so the chorus is basically um, you know is saying um, yasai no yasa dokoisho so like um, the equivalent of sort of heave ho heave ho um, you yeah. know uh, like put, put put your back into it sort of thing um, but so so you get these four things and the first one is all about sort of like hearing the seagulls you know like okay the, the cry of the seagulls um, kind of sort of gives them the incentive you know they, they can't give up um, on their fishing lives they're being sort of called to the oceans called to the ocean by the seagulls it's time to go fishing um, and then you know uh, put your back into it heave ho heave ho um, and then uh, old man um the size of my catch is larger than the rest. And the bit that I like about that second verse is like, I've caught more fish than anyone else and they're all mine. The lyrics are literally, and it's mine. No one else's. This is my catch. <laughs> and then put your back into it. Heave ho, heave ho. And then the bit I really like about this is that it's there's something and the reason I wanted to talk about it is that sea shanties across the world seem to always have the same kind of themes which is heave ho life at sea we can't give it up heave ho I'm thinking about love um heave ho I'm thinking about my own fortune so you get that with the fish these are all my fish I'm the one who's caught them and then one of the verses is like even if I you know no matter how much I row I'll never win the heart of my beloved <laughs> that's one of the lines he's like i'll never i'll never catch the eye of of a girl i'll never catch her attention which also potentially kind of plays into the fact that these are these are fishermen these are impoverished fishermen so they're thinking no matter how hard i work i will i'll never be able to catch the eye of probably of a lady of a you know of, of a beautiful girl because my prospects maybe aren't great or yeah. things along those lines and then seagulls come back into it again and it's back to the seagulls which I, which i think is quite nice because they the seagulls kind of kick off the whole song and then and then we're back to the seagulls again at the end um and the fact that you know the seagulls are all crying out with you know excitement and stuff like that and and you know the ocean water is, is is gleaming on their yeah and the ocean water is gleaming on their skin um so when you look at it all together it's this kind of you almost kind of go through a journey with them which is like right we're setting out to see it's going to be a really good catch but even if it is a good catch i'm never going to be able to have my beloved but this is the sea life <laughs> and that <laughs> this is the life for me kind of thing and i just yeah. i actually really really like it but there is there's something a little bit there's you know there's a mentions of status there there's mentions of the idea potentially of 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 what wealth means but actually what does it equate to um no matter how hard they work is it going to be worth it or is it worth it because that's the people they are is it in their blood kind of thing um and it's a very very popular incredibly popular one and I, it's well worth having a listen to because it, it's 
it's a big sound if that makes sense yeah it's a really um it's a really popular cross-cultural theme yeah the idea of someone who works on the sea in any capacity not being able to give it up yeah and there are so many songs that sort of spring to mind including relatively modern sort of rock versions of this theme Mm. whereby you have a sailor who's come into the shore for a short while and he's met a girl and she's lovely um she'd make a fine wife Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my love, my mistress, and my true wife are the sea, and I will be going back to it. Yeah. Um, so there you go. I mean, that's something that, that absolutely crosses generations. It crosses cultural boundaries. And it's really interesting that that has really popped up in in a Japanese sea shanty. And when you find it in Cornish sea shanties, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it's, and it's... The also... idea that it's a mixed fortune as well yeah absolutely and there's the the beats of the song as well and the fact that within the songs is basically you know the heave ho is all about rowing um the the soram um and dokoisho um as they say it's it's all that these are words of encouragement these are um the movement this is this is all of those kinds of things it's all about work work i'm gonna sing him a little bit about me work work kind of thing um, there's a beat to it. There's a functionality to it, and I think that's what makes it so relatable, and and also reason why it survived for so long. But I really particularly wanted to talk about that because, as you said, there is this this connection where it doesn't matter where you are in the world. There's this kind of this is my lot, uh, this is my life. There's something that's pulling me here um, throughout, and it doesn't matter whether you're off, you know, the coast of Japan or off the coast of Cornwall. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, okay, well, my <laughs> my last, my final offering of the day, I mean, I could carry on for, like, an entire series, as I said, <laughs> but my final, final one comes under what I term a murder ballad, um, whereby it's about a great love story, except that it ends in a horrible, grisly, tragic death. It's sometimes called The Wild Rose, The Rambling Rose, Down in the Willow Garden. I think that's the Appalachian version. Mm-hmm. Um, Rose Connolly, again, that's an Irish version. Down by the Sally Gardens, it's an Irish version. Don't confuse it with The Wild Irish Rose, which is a completely different folk mm. song and doesn't end in a grisly murder. Shame. Um, <laughs> shame. And, you know, there's, there's loads and loads of these sort of murder ballads. And quite often what happens is... You know, the man in the song will generally shoot his love in the second or third verse. It's nearly always told from the man's perspective. And he nearly always does it in a jealous rage because he's so beautiful. How could she not be cheating on him? Um, There's a whole set of other ballads that sort of fall into that category. This one's different because he murders her not for jealousy, but for either, but for some sort of quite obscure reasons. Mm. So, yeah, you follow the, the typical pattern of a beautiful girl, wild-spirited, um, and, you know, almost like a child of nature kind of thing. She tempts the man away from his path because he is so charmed by her, you know, her sweetness, her innocence, the way that she sort of, you know, she's not trying to cap- capture his attention. She's kind of like a child of nature. Yeah. And, you know, one thing leads to another. They end up meeting a lot. She ends up, they end up sleeping together. And he realizes how far he's been led off his path in some songs he's to be a lawyer in some songs he's to be uh, you know a, a soldier or something or 
you know, to go off. You're thinking, one, he's due to go off to university. You know, he's due to be the lord of something. He's come from a much higher social echelon than she has. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's about to ruin it all for him, not deliberately and not because she's planning to, but because they've been sleeping together and the hint is that she may have become pregnant. Right. And that's a huge embarrassment. And now, depending on what version of the song you're going for, either his father tells her tells him to deal with the problem, which the son interprets as kill the little minx, um, which is not necessarily <laughs> what his father's talking about. No. Uh, depending. Sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, that's clearly what the father means. And in others, it's kind of like, oh my God, I didn't say murder her. I meant deal with the child. <laughs> I, meant, I meant pay her off. What is yes. wrong with you? <laughs> pay her off. Send her to another village. Put her in a home somewhere. Something like that. And... It, it, it's very grisly because usually these things where one murders another, where a man murders his sweetheart, she gets shot. So yes, it's horrible, but it's fairly clean. Or he strangles her, which has a weird sexual intimacy to it because they're very close. So he's seeing her last moments, not because it's kind of like an autoerotic asphyxiation type of thing. Of course, yeah. Um, but you know, there, there's there's elements of it. Kind of there's there, they're almost being a, you know a sexual element to the the jealous rage that means it's genuinely a crime of passion Mm. we're a lot more forgiving of crimes of passion as well which is a subject for another day Mm. in this case he usually stabs her with his saber if he's a soldier or he takes a knife and he cuts her throat while she's sleeping or he poisons her if he happens to be you know the heir to to an estate you know Mm -hmm. he brings wine from the estate and bids her drink it and as she's sleeping he slips some poison in and and kills her that way um generally the law catches up with him Mm -hmm. with the exception of uh one one song which is sort of the rambling rose whereby he everyone in the town sort of says yes he's beautiful to look at but he's a bad guy don't go near him kind of thing but poor sweet rambling rose is kind of like a bit smitten she's innocent she's this child of nature and even he is very smitten with with her beauty and things um there's a lot to unpack and pack there but basically this i think one of the best reimaginings of this was actually done by nick cave and the bad seeds and they took the rambling rose song and rewrote it and they had carly minogue sing it and it's it's weird and creepy and i'm not sure how it ever managed to make it onto the charts because it's just not (laughs) <laughs> it's just not what you would normally see as pop music and it certainly doesn't sound like it it sounds like a folk song but the more you listen to that song it's sung back and forth between Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue and I like the fact that like with the Rambling Rose they've actually given the woman a voice in the song rather than this is the man he's actually an absolute turd and he's murdering her to get rid of a baby that he helped make kind yeah. of thing or he's murdering her because he, there's something a bit wrong in this one, there's no real hint that um, there's a baby or anything on the way. The mm. Same with you know the original, the Rambling Rose. The the it, it's suggested that the man himself is curious about death, and he wants to preserve her in some way. He wants to be the last person that she you know she'll ever be with. He wants to be the final thing she'll ever see. It is very much sort of early serial killer mentality before he's worked out his plan. And it's just this verse. On the third day he took me to the river, he showed me the roses and we kissed, and the last thing I heard was a muttered word as he knelt above me with a rock in his fist. And then the male part is, on the last day I took her to the wa- where the wild roses grow, she lay on the bank, the wind light as a thief, 
and I kissed her goodbye, said all beauty must die, and I knelt down and planted a rose between her teeth. Okay. And it's epically, it's like, okay, tell me that doesn't sound like someone who's about to go off on a long career as a serial killer. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So, um, yeah, there's loads that, you know, there's literally hundreds of murder ballads and most of them are variations on each other. And this one obviously has a long history and is clearly designed as a bit of a warning to women to not be, you know, to, to, to move in groups, you know, stay with, stay with other women. It doesn't matter if you find sewing and stuff boring. Don't be a a rambling child of nature. Don't draw the wrong attention. Otherwise you're going to end up dead or you're going to end up with a child in your belly and then dead. Um, which is very typical of a folk song. But this one's kind of like, yeah, she was minding her own business, then enamoured of his beauty, took him on good faith, and he's kind of like, I love you, but I want to kill you way more. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <What>? horrifying. <laughs> that's that's horrifying, yes. Um... <laughs> and I, I think that definitely beats the Scottish lullaby aroma land of... I think that's way worse. That's horrifying. Um, Okay, so I'm just going to mention one more. um, And it's actually, it's uh, Twa Corby's, um, or sometimes called The Three Ravens. Um, And I think this is a good one to end on because it's something that both of us have or will be drawing upon in some form or another. Because it's you definitely drew upon it for um, The King's Knight, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the older ballad versions of that come from about that time. And I think Twa Corby's is the older version because that's the Scottish one. It's mm. kind of nastier than the Three Ravens. Yeah. It's it's interesting because, okay, so for those who don't know the song, Twa Corby's basically tells the story of a person who hears a group of um, ravens or sometimes crows uh, talking with one another. And they're talking about where they're going to eat for today. And basically what happens is that one of them says, well, there's a a knight who's who lays slain close by. Um, and the only people who know that the knight's body is there, in, in other words, the only people who might remove it, are his lover, obviously the person who murdered him, but his lover, um, his hound, and his hunting hawk. Fortunately, his hound has gotten distracted and is off running after things. His hunting hawk has flown away and is looking for food. Um, And his lover has already fallen into the arms of another person. Uh, Therefore, these crows can just feast on this body for as long as they want. And Um, they'll pluck out his bonnie blue in. Yes, they'll (laughs) pluck out his eyes and then they'll use his, his hair and stuff like that. It's horrifying. The Three Ravens, it seems to be a later version, which then twists the tale completely on its head, where instead, basically, the Three Ravens say, once again, only three people know where this body is. The hunting, but the ra- and the ravens can't get close because the, the hound is sitting faithfully at his master's feet, despite the fact his master is dead. His hound is sitting faithfully by him, guarding him. His hunting hawk is circling him, ready to chase away anything that dares to try and come close. And his wife, who in in the first time she's introduced, she's actually appears to be a deer and she's heavily pregnant. She comes and she carries his body away 
despite the fact she's heavily pregnant and she buries him at which point she then also succumbs to death and the end of the song is may all men um, have as faithful a wife a hound and a hawk as him yeah either way it's a, it's, it's not a good ending for anyone <laughs> yeah we, i think it's it's weird because obviously the first one sort of dwells on the utter futility of, of battle and the fact that once you're dead, you're worm food and you're crow food and nothing else matters. You're a feast for crows. Hmm. Whereas the three ravens kind of dwells on the fact that there are some things that continue after death and the, the loyalty of your mistress or your wife, you know, depending on which version you're going with, um, and your, your hound, the, the impact you've made on other people during your life. Because, you know, for the... For the hawk, you could say, well, that's his loyal squire. For the hound, it's like, well, that's a loyal servant. Yeah. Um, and it's down there came a fallow doe as great with young as she may go. And, it, uh, you know, that's his pregnant wis- mistress or his pregnant wife. Yeah. So it's kind of like the things you have done and touched in your life live on beyond you. So even though you've died a futile death and you lie in a field, you will be remembered. Yeah, absolutely. It's... <laughs> It's a really interesting one because I do like the fact that you literally have these two versions of it which involve the exact same components but in one which is oh it's good and in one it's oh it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely you know obviously Twa Corby's it's uh, it sort of dwells very much on the the, dis- the disemboweling of the, the hapless knight by the, the crows where, yeah. whereas the other one's kind of like ah we want to eat his entrails and his eyes but we can't get that <laughs> <laughs> exactly and, the, and and it's yeah it's it's also quite interesting because the, the, obviously you get the ravens as well who, who, who feel kind of like oh yeah good for you man we can't eat you but good for you <laughs> kind of like, obviously you lived a virtuous life kind of thing I yeah. think it's the fact that they make the knight blonde-haired and blue-eyed. And, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of played on that because this song is um, being played in a by, a by a minstrel in a bathhouse. Believe it or not, they would have employed minstrels to sing in bathhouses <laughs> or people took leisurely baths together during um, the, <laughs> during the 14th century. This was a thing. This was a thing. It was kind of like a day at the spa. Yeah. Um, and... Gregory's kind of pissed off that this minstrel's prancing around singing, particularly about singing about a dead knight who happens to be very much not what Gregory is at all. Yeah. <laughs> While he's like, trying to have a bath. Yeah, he's like, will you shut up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but it was also some very not not that subtle foreshadowing on my part, because the minstrels there singing about this dead knight lying in the field having died a futile death in a battle and it's kind of like hmm i guess what's coming in the rest of the book <laughs> yeah absolutely oh that's fantastic it's <laughs> i really did like because that was actually the first time i came across the song as well um, and then i just kept listening to it and being like oh there's so much potential here so um yeah there there will be some stuff like that um yeah. within future works with castrol I think the thing is that even though Madeline and I have got a broad base of crossover with things like folk songs and mm-hmm. obviously folklore, and we will draw from the same sources, we still come up with completely different stories, yeah. except where we've chosen to align something, yeah. um, because it's in the same universe. And I, I think that's the thing, is to not be discouraged because you think somebody else has written your book, 
mm-hmm. or taken a song you wanted to adapt and made it, you know, made a book out of it or what have you, um, because you will come up with something slightly different. And there is so much nuance and so many layers to just to a simple verse and a folk song. I mean, think about that horrible, <laughs> that horrible, a terrible Icelandic lullaby where the face is looking in the window. Because mm. if you can't come up with about six things just off the back of that one image. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, there's just so much there. It really is a treasure trove for inspiration and for even if you don't end up actually using any components of the song the general tone of things like that i mean i i'm gonna mention this again and i've mentioned it before uh first book of the unveiled i belong to the earth um i was really enjoying the book but one thing in particular hooked me into it and was the thing which really gave me the the massive sort of creep factor and and actually kind of really set the tone which was the inclusion of the folk song long lambkin in in the first book because i was like what the hell is long lambkin and then i looked into the folk song and i was like oh my god (laughs) it's about a serial killer who dwells in the moss yeah It's just, it really, there was something almost inevitable about Long Lankin as well. Like, you just couldn't, you couldn't avoid him. There was nothing you could do if you'd wronged him, you know. Um, You couldn't bar the door to him. No. And and there's there's versions of the song where he is actually kind of a supernatural creature as well, I think. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, the, the way they get rid of him, they hang him, they stab him, they... Uh, they torture him and it's kind of like and even at the end of the song you kind of feel is he actually dead because i'm not sure it hasn't been covered (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um Um, yeah it's so it's so that that really set me off and i think also as well because there ended up being kind of a little bit of a sort of hints towards certain things within the song if you actually look at the song and then look at actually what occurs um yeah i really really liked it um, and who perhaps one of the main villains actually really is in the story. So I, I really, really liked that. And I think that folk songs are just so diverse. There's so much you can draw from them. There's so much there in terms of folklore as well. Um, and the thing is, the moment you add music to any piece, particularly folk songs, which are very kind of easy to listen to, you end up adding another dimension to any piece of writing that you have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been used successfully by some other writers. I won't go into detail because you guys can just go and check these people out yourself Mm. if you haven't already. But I mean, think how important folk songs are in the Hunger Games trilogy, for example. Yeah. And talking about the books, but it absolutely adds dimension. And, you know, they're they're songs that were written for those books, but they draw on common folk song tropes. Um, Samantha Shannon's The Bone Season series. Again, she draws on folk songs um for her you know dystopian psychics yeah and her sort of her sort of almost steampunky type london but it's not really steampunk uh there's there's a high science component and yet beneath it is this vast well of folklore and um here's the other one the other one who's absolutely the folk songs are right there in your face is alex bledsoe's tufa series Mm. um which are really about the tuaha day once they get cast out of of Ireland and they end up in Appalachia and he's written the songs for that which I then think have been kind of recorded by a band called Tuatha Day <laughs> um, 
which you know it's really good you should check them out but the songs in those books again sort of echo what might happen in the plot what could happen what happens when these situations generally happen yeah uh, what happens when you mix the shay with the humans mm. it's not you know it's not all rainbows and kittens put it that no, way <laughs> absolutely not um yeah and then of course you've got you know traditional uh, tolkien you can't go three pages without a ballad in, in Tolkien. <laughs> yeah i mean some people might find that a bit irritating but yeah. i i kind of like it because it adds something for me i think what started me learning um irish folk songs actually in in Gaelge or um or in scottish or in, in gaelic is that when i first heard them they sounded a bit like the elves singing in elvish yeah which sounds weird, doesn't it? But it's kind of like this language that you should be able to understand because there's a little bit there that you can reach. Mm. And yet it's so different. It, it could be another worldly type thing. Yeah. Obviously, when you then get into it, you realise that it's a very functional language as well because it can't just be about magic harps and, and water horses. But... Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's just so much there. So we hope that you as listeners have really enjoyed our brief exploration into some of these folk songs um we would love to hear about more folk songs what is your favorite folk song what's a folk song that made you think what's a folk song that surprised you let us know remember you can get in contact with us via facebook tumblr or twitter both through our individual pages and through our dissecting dragons pages before we go however it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and this week jules i believe that you've got one for us Yes, if you haven't caught Leonardo featuring Aidan Turner on Amazon Prime, then you might like to check it out if you're into historical fiction. Um, it sort of follows the, the life of Leonardo da Vinci. And, you know, anyone who is any sort of artist or writer is going to really, really sympathise because Leonardo da Vinci kind of was famous for not finishing a lot of things because yeah. it had to be perfect. Um, and it sort of looks into that. It looks into his relationships with the, the great families. Um, obviously, Italy at the time was a series of city-states mm. ruled by big families. So there, there was the Medici, there was the Swarza, there were various others. And if you wanted to make it as an artist, you needed wealthy pa- patrons who, um, who you know, wanted what you could create. Yeah. And it, it's just a really, really good show. And it has one of the best sort of male-female, almost romantic friendships that never ends up being anything more than a very deeply devoted friendship for reasons that will become apparent as you watch the show. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Okay. um, Yeah, it's good. I think it can be a bit jarring to start with because they have modernised language. But then again, if they hadn't modernised the language, you'd be listening to something that was an English approximation of the Florentine that was spoken at the time. And I think most people would find that inaccessible. Yeah. So um, I'd say hold on to it and and just, just go for it. Keep going. Okay. All right. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm definitely looking forward to watching that. It's on my, it's next on my list. So. I'm going to enjoy Not that. Not just because Aiden Turner's in it. <laughs> Not just because Aiden Turner's in it, no. Um, though I do like Aiden Turner a lot as an actor. Um, and on that note, guys, we will say thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons. 
the Speculative Fiction Podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.